Hello and welcome to another episode of Death and Donuts. I'm Seb James. I hope you've all been keeping well and if you live in Sydney, Australia, dry and warm. In this episode, I speak with Leah Egan. Leah is 22 years old and is a university student in Sydney. She grew up in a seemingly normal suburban family. Uh, She lived with her mum and dad and her three siblings and is the eldest of the four kids. However, not all was rosy at home, in fact. Her mother, Jenny, unfortunately suffered from alcoholism, and Leah, being the eldest, was impacted quite negatively by this experience. Leah then began to suffer from severe depression and also from an eating disorder. And through this difficult time, she turned to her sister, Ellie, who was the one just below her in age, for for friendship and, I guess, in some way, security. And they formed one of the closest bonds you could imagine with uh, between siblings. You know, people would actually comment that Leah and Ellie were inseparable. While moving into their teens, they started to go out together and they loved partying. And Leah says that perhaps they were going down a pretty dark or wrong path at that time. And that was part of trying to deal with the difficult situation at home. But then Leah and her family's world came crashing down when Ellie was sadly diagnosed at the age of 15 with an incurable brain tumor, which is found in the brain stem. I think it's called DIPG. And this type of tumor, basically no one survives this tumor. And she was only given nine months to live. While Ellie's health declined quite rapidly, um, she improved for a bit, but then it began to decline again. And um, it was a six-year battle with the tumor. And there was a lot of suffering. And Leah witnessed, though, a transformation in Ellie and her mother during this tumultuous time. Everyone during this time was praying for a miracle. And many people were praying, in fact, for the family, perhaps hundreds of people. And these prayers seemed to actually help Ellie and Jenny and they, they began to have this sort of peace, tranquility, this joy. Um, their faith was in God was palpable. And Leah noticed this. And in a way, um, that was difficult for Leah to accept because she struggled with anger, um, discouragement, sadness, and, and perhaps despair. And in during this time, Jenny, in fact, was completely cured of her alcoholism. So really, Jenny and Ellie had in some ways turned to the Logos and, and were really trusting in the Logos in love itself, who we, whom we call God. And Leah found this very difficult, as I said, and um, she became angry, I guess, with the Logos, with God. She believed that God, she believed God existed intellectually, it made sense to her, but she believed God in some way was a monster punishing her family, perhaps because Leah um, was living a bad life or she she called herself bad and, and blamed herself in some way. But then the unspeakable happened when her brother, Zach, who she'd actually drawn closer to during Ellie's sickness, he got a sinus infection and became very sick and very quickly passed away. Now, this may sound like one of the most tragic and depressing stories you've ever heard, 
definitely I felt that tragedy when I was talking to Leah. Um, but one day I actually stumbled across a social media post that Leah wrote about Ellie and Zach's passing. And in fact, they only died a few months apart. I think it was um, with six months, I'm pretty sure. And somehow Leah had this incredible perspective on the whole situation. The post was filled with hope and love and trust. And Leah expressed a strong desire in that post to get to heaven, to be with her two siblings in a way that she said, you know, I would do anything to be with them. And I found that post um, incredibly moving and quite inspiring. So... In this episode, Leah was kind enough to unpack what she wrote by really just sharing her life story and her family's story. And can I just say a big thank you to Leah, Jenny, Scott and Zoe for allowing me to come to their home so soon after their two beloved siblings and and children had passed away. Um, And this interview, in fact, was recorded in Ellie's room where she passed away and is now a beautiful prayer room. So we all hope you find Leah's story inspiring. Please share this with those who might be searching for meaning in the midst of great suffering. Thanks for listening. Ever since I heard the howling wind I didn't need to go where a Bible went And even though your gifts seem heaven sent to a color that that's the thing but I don't know how you house the sin but you're free now and I was never sure how much of you I could live in but I'm free now won't you settle down darling your love has been Leah, thanks for joining the podcast. And um, yeah, I I came to know about you because there was a Facebook post um, that was shared by I I don't know how many people, but I stumbled across it, and I don't think I've ever connected with you on social media. And I have to say, I was very very moved by the post, um, which was about um, your sister Ellie and also I think you mentioned your brother Zach as well in the post Um, and uh, they had recently both passed away and for me it was so difficult to um, come to terms with or comprehend how someone in your shoes could have um, so much I guess love in their heart um, and also trusting in God the Father um, or the Creator but I wanted to um, just really go through your life with you, if that's okay, and um, starting with your childhood. And so, could you tell us a bit about yourself? Like, um, um, well, you can tell us your name and how old you are now, but also um, where you grew up, and and then I'll yeah throw in questions as we go. Sure. So um, I'm Leah. I'm 22 now, and I've lived. In the same house here in Sydney for my whole life um, and I went to a very strict Catholic private school um, 
and I have three siblings, I think, as most people know, um, and two that are now in heaven in the last year. So, well, and I guess that's part of the end of the story. So from the beginning, um, I had a very normal childhood up until the point where I started started becoming aware of my surroundings. So my mom's an alcoholic. So it, when I really, and because I'm the oldest, I was exposed to it the most. Me and Ellie, but mainly me. Um, and so growing up, it wasn't, it wasn't very happy or good around here. It was, it was quite bad. And it was, it was also because no one knew. There was not one person in my life that knew. Um, and so I had no, I felt like I had no shelter at home. And then I also didn't feel like I fit in at school uh, either. So I was in a, by the, and I always, um, I was very, very shy as a child, like to the point where I couldn't talk to anyone. I just wouldn't open my mouth. Um, I could at home, but not to people I didn't know or not at school. Um, and but besides that, I had a very, um, very rebellious nature, even though I was very shy. Um, so I had a big problem with authority. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. I, um, but it wasn't, it was authority and rules that I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. So it would be like, well, so for example, when I was in primary school, it'd be, oh, put your hat on Leah. And I'd be like, why? I'm not in the sun. Why do I need to put my hat on? Or how we were, we had to write in cursive in our books. And I'd be like, well, what difference does it make if I'm not writing in cursive? It was, and I've, I've worked out now that that was me trying to take back control over my life because I had absolutely no control um, over anything. So if I was deciding it to, if someone told me to do something, I wouldn't do it. And because that was me choosing, I felt like I had a choice in the matter if I went the other way. Yeah. Um, so by the time we got to high school, that was probably the rock bottom around here, around how home um and that lack of control developed into me being severely depressed an eating disorder um very i was in a very very dark place and no one knew and then and at this point as well we were and that's when i guess i well, I'll go back a bit. That's, um, that problem with authority, like it came out, it turned into, um, it came out through my faith as well. So I was being told to go to mass. Well, I'm not going to, because you're telling me to. Mm -hmm. So that happened. Uh, and why, why do I have to go to confession? Just because you're telling me to, you know, I'm not going to. Um, so it was a bit of that. Can you just quickly explain for people that might not know, um, you were brought up as a Catholic, so the Mass is basically going to church on Sundays, which everyone would understand that concept, and um, confession is going to tell your sins to a Catholic priest, right? Yes, so confession is where you go and look at everything, I guess, you've done wrong, and you uh, profess it and are sorry for it. Yeah. Um, and so... 
So you were just you were talking about how you're rebellious and and that it also included rebelling against your faith, which your parents or your mother was trying to instill in you. Yeah. So we were um, exposed to the Catholic faith very young. Mum was always mum always gave us a great. Uh, how do you say it um introduction to it mm-hmm. and then of course going to school um so but then it was like i was it was a bit hypocritical around here right so i was being taught to live one way and then at home i was seeing a completely different way of living mm-hmm. so it, nothing added up to me mm-hmm. um and that's good that's really good actually and you were very confused by this seeing how i guess your mother was living or struggling with her alcoholism and i mean i don't i don't know what because i've never had that experience i don't know what that would be like um, but i can imagine it would be quite traumatic especially for the eldest of the kids and um you you know you you look up as a, as a woman you would look up to your mother i'm sure um and then she's yeah so you 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 really were impacted by this hypocrisy um so what was your way of dealing with with such a negative experience was there something that you were looking for to find happiness at that time it was my sister it was ellie so um during this all we became absolute best friends inseparable um, you know, people would look at us and say, wow, how, how are you that close with your sister? Um, and so we, we just decided, cause I also, um, always cared way too much what other people thought of me, um, especially being young. So I think that was a big part of the shyness as well. Uh, I was too scared of being judged, so I just didn't open my mouth. And so by the point it was rock bottom around here me and Ellie were best friends and she was my escape and we basically said all right stuff caring what our parents think of us we're just going to do whatever we want (laughs) yeah so what age were you when you both made that decision I was about 15 she was about 13 and it was it was freeing well what I thought was freeing um and so we would just we would hardly come home I mean, after school, we'd go to the shops. We'd just avoid being home. Um, and we'd be, be out partying on the weekends. Um, and that was what I thought was a really... I thought that was a really good time. Yeah. Especially since Ellie was diagnosed the next year uh, after that. So So Ellie was 14. Yeah, then. she was... No, I think she was 15. Just 15. Just 15 when she was diagnosed. Um and so sorry just so quickly what was she diagnosed with can you tell so she was diagnosed with dipg which is a brain tumor in the brainstem it's inoperable incurable um 100 death rate so she was told in 2016 that she had nine months to live and this was the from at that point i thought that it was the end of my world because she was the only thing holding me together. And we were having what I thought was so much fun. Um, And it was, I didn't know what I was going to do with myself. Um, 
Yeah. Wow. Mm. And so once she was diagnosed, um, did you continue to try and escape through not being around here at home, um, going to parties or... Did you suddenly need to be at home because of Elle's situation? Yes, I did. Uh, so she progressed very rapidly, rapidly in the first year. Um, she was very downhill very fast. Um, and so most of my time was spent here. But then I also was turning to the partying yeah. um, on the weekends as well yeah. as an escape. Yeah. Um, and and then you um yeah so tell us a bit about that time because you've you've you know you, you've got a year there where else um obviously deteriorated what was going through your mind and your heart during that time um, yeah well i um i wasn't surprised i i think i had this very cuz the the funny thing is that i never ever stopped believing in God even though I lost my faith and I think I had this very domineering and sort of I viewed God as this very domineering and angry creature and I was like so of course he's, he's done this to me and I used to say <clears throat> to myself before Elle was diagnosed I used to say as long as nothing happens to Ellie I'll be okay for the rest of my life I'll be okay and for so I had that I don't know what you would call it uh, su- uh, subconscious it's almost as though I knew this was going to happen because I was so fearful of it happening wow. so it happened and then I was like oh of course um, and then I, I was like well this happens to people every day all around the world right mm. so why would I be special mm. why would why would we get around this or be protected from this sort of suffering mm. of course of course it happened yeah. um, and it was it was too, it was too much the idea of losing my sister so I just built a wall and I just learnt because you know it's only acceptable for, to, for you to cry and scream on the floor and not get out of bed for so long and then you don't have a choice. You have to get up and you have to deal with it. Mm. And so I just got used to dealing with it. I just got used to getting up. But I wasn't coping because yeah. I had absolutely no faith. Yeah. So I wasn't. Wow. Mm. So what What were you doing to try and cope though? Like, is it... mm. I would escape in books, okay. right? So I read a lot of fantasy books. Okay. Um, and those were my escape. Also, my friends yeah. were an escape, hanging out with them. And so they, they were my coping mechanisms. Um, and then it almost got to the point where it was too hard to pick up a book because I'd get lost on, in it on purpose, right? And for a second, I would forget what was happening. And then the second I finished the book, it would all come down and it would all hit me again. And it was that, that hit back to reality was almost too much to cope with so it was easier just to stop reading yeah Mm. um 
And what were you doing? Like, what was your interaction with Elle at, at this time? Um, I was... It was... It changed almost overnight, our relationship. I, looking back on it now, I lost that best friend the day she was diagnosed because she, as much as she was her, she wasn't, she was too sick to be herself. So, and so we say around here that we mourned Elle a long time ago because in my mind, sick Elle and healthy Elle are two different people. Um, so I really, and also I was in, I was so selfish back then. I was not in a place where I could cope with her changing and cope with her finding her face. I, w I felt like I was the last black sheep left in the family and it was, I, and I felt like the last person on this earth who truly understood me had switched sides. Tell us a bit about then Elle, what was going through her? Because you said she switched sides. Was it um, she was telling you things, saying things, or did you notice something in her demeanor that changed? Yes, it was how she was living. She was coping with her diagnosis and the fact that she was going to die in a few months like no 15-year-old could. And... Um, her and my mum and my whole family went on a warpath to get a miracle and she was so so holy and accepted her fate and I didn't know how to relate to her anymore so uh, even though I was admired her and could could see how amazingly um, she was handling it I couldn't I couldn't relate to it because I wasn't handling it wow. and and did you um, tell her that did you like tell her when you said I can see you're going on this trajectory and I don't I, I can't I can't see myself going in that direction did you ever express that to her or no I didn't yeah. um but I showed her through my actions yeah. which is the saddest thing yeah. yeah what um do you think that that was always within Elle like this you know she said you know you had that point where you're like life's difficult at home we're gonna rebel let's go and party and have a good time and it probably was a good time for her and you um, as parties are but did you sense that she was longing for something different throughout her childhood something perhaps spiritual or supernatural was that ever apparent um, I think even even though she didn't have like she had as much faith as I did back then before her diagnosis we were really going down a bad path um, she was still so mature and so kind and so and I think for both of us as well we always knew the truth we always knew and so we had a lot of Catholic guilt as you would say um, yeah, I know that. yeah. <laughs> I know that. 
so you um she was the sort of person who was never swept up in the crowd um you know marched to her own drum uh didn't care what other people thought of her had no interest in being popular which in turn made her popular and i was the opposite so she was honestly my idol yeah and i think i mean you she had and once she was diagnosed she had my mom who was setting such a good example to her and really um showing her the right way to do this and and it helped her so of course she, she turned to that straight away you know so as you mentioned your mum suffered from alcoholism mm-hmm. so at this point um you're saying now she's become an example mm-hmm. um can you tell us a bit about your mum and and what happened there yeah so um by the time Elle was diagnosed in late 2016 my mum was trying to get better but not succeeding so we um and then once Elle was diagnosed that was my mum didn't have a choice right she and the thing is beneath it all my mum was such a good mum despite that I always had such a good relationship with her and admired her. It was just that one little thing. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> um, and so... So, of course... Um, um, my mum didn't really have a... She didn't have much of an opportunity to drink in that first week. I mean, the, that first year. Um, there was, there was a few relapses, um, which were atrocious, but my mum turned to God instantly and we could, we could already see the difference in that almost overnight from when it was diagnosed. So, um, and then we said when my mum was, you know, wanted to be fully healed, um, we did the St. Monica Novena. Our whole family did it. And my mum was basically cured overnight. Yeah. So, and that was about a year in. Wow. Mm. So, she was trying to go to church when you were younger and, and take you to church. And So, what was the difference did you notice in like her relationship with God back then and, and that, that time that Elle got sick and where she sort of turned to God was, did you know, like, because it sounds like you could see it was more authentic almost, or yes. it, was, it was more, how did, what was the thing that really pointed to it being more authentic, do you think? Like, was it in her demeanor, your mother's demeanor, or in her, um, her behavior? Was she kinder to you? Mm. Or what did you know? Yeah, she was a better person. Yeah. And I think growing up, it was for us. She was dragging us to church for us, yeah. whereas I think she was struggling with her face faith as well um so it was more for show um and then it it was after she really turned to god after Elle was diagnosed it was genuine and you could really see it 
Um, it was the way we stopped talking, the way we talked about people that was different. Um, how and how the the grace that she was getting from it, from really turning to prayer, um, the peace and the grace that she received from that was undeniable and it was so obvious because I don't know how a mother goes through that and can keep smiling and keep getting up and doing it on repeat for five years so incredible mm. um, so then back to your own personal um, journey through this time were you because we were at the point of where you were like Elle was going in this direction sort of following your mother's example and you were like I'm not I'm not buying this or I'm not participating in this I'm still very much would you say angry with God yes yeah very angry with God yeah me too um or angry but also um i didn't blame him for what was happening i thought i deserved it yeah um why did you think that um i guess because of the way i was living i think and so when i would pray for a miracle I would pray, I would say, I know, I know I don't deserve one. I know I don't deserve to have my sister, but do it for her and do it for my mom and do it for the rest of my family. If you're going to give us a miracle, that's how undeserving I thought I, I was of her staying here. Um, that's, um, I, I, again, I, I think it's such a sincere prayer and, um, it's as as perhaps in your heart and your mind you're like oh that was terrible but for me it's a it's a beautiful prayer because you're asking for help to help others that god helps others and you feel like you're not deserving of that but at the same time i, I can sense you had a little bit of bitterness towards god a bit was there all would be that would that be accurate um yes i since since reading um about mother Teresa, saint mother Teresa, and her spiritual dryness Mm. that really hit home with me Mm. and i think i that growing up that's what i felt i felt like i was getting absolutely nothing back and i think it was probably because my heart was too hardened i wasn't open enough to it but i really felt no i didn't feel god in my life at all Mm. um so that's why I gave up on it. So intellectually, you would say I knew God existed. But yes. Then there was no relationship there mm-hmm. at all. You were like, where are you sort of thing? Yes, exactly. Wow. Yeah. Mm. And then did that worsen when after, during that first year of Elle's diagnosis, would you say, as in that dryness or that real lack of like sense that God actually loves you? Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a very, very recent feeling, actually. Mm-hmm. Really, in the, the last year, have I felt it. Wow. Yeah. 
um, and I was, um, I guess, I wasn't trying hard enough. Um, I found it very, very hard to pray. I didn't know what to say. Um, I didn't know what to ask for or, and then I didn't want to either because of the way I was living. I was like, well, it's one way or the highway, right? So, and I've chosen the other way. Mm. So I'm not going to start. Wow. Mm. Okay. And then, so tell us a bit about the next few years with, with, with Elle and what was happening there. Um, with Elle and then maybe we can also then talk about your own situation yeah so um Elle started to get better for uh, so she obviously didn't die after nine months um and it looked like she was starting to get better and that the the tumor was shrinking she was had more movement she was still in her wheelchair but she um and she could engage with us better her headaches went away um her speech improved a little bit. Um, she was even going to TAFE um, and doing driving lessons and all those sort of things. And she was really, as much as she could, she was engaging in having a normal life. Um, and so those that was a really quite a happy time uh, in comparison to the first year. Um, and I... I think most of us thought that we were going to get a miracle at that point because we, she was getting better in front of us and we we're like, wow, maybe this is it. Um, and so she was, she was coping so well. Not once did I hear her complain about anything or cry. She was so happy all the time all she did was help other people and I just couldn't understand it and it got to the point where I was like okay this is ridiculous now how am I not coping when my sister who has an inoperable and incurable brain tumor is coping like what am I doing wrong (laughs) (laughs) that would have been so crazy to be in that and have that experience so well, so you were you asking yourself that, or were you asking God that, or were you asking friends that? <laughs> oh, just myself, I think. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, and I didn't want to face reality. I knew what I had to do if I wanted. I mean, I had two perfect examples in front of me: <laughs> my mom and my sister, and I still would not, would not budge. Yeah. So I was just wouldn't help myself. So did that last, during Elle's sort of recovery time, were you getting more frustrated with how happy she was? Um, or were you just happy that she was, get, was better? I know I was very, very happy with how happy she was. It was how religious mm-hmm. she was, uh, which I couldn't, I couldn't see my sister in as horrible as that is um so and i couldn't relate to it anymore so that was that was hard did she ever talk to you about anything religious during that time i think she was a bit too scared to 
I, w- I wasn't very nice when people tried to help me mm. at all so I think she was too scared too and I also think that she had she blamed herself as well for getting sick and she was like well I know that she thought if she hadn't gotten sick she'd be the same as me and she would have been acting the same way we would have been going down this path together so she I don't think she felt that she was allowed to criticize me wow so it was through purely through her external behavior that you realized she's going she's becoming quite religious yeah so um she would go, go to mass every day um and you know we'd say the the rosary every single night and just um, but her behavior like she would go she'd go and help people when i've never I'd, at that point i'd never helped someone in my life and she was in a wheelchair doing it you know it was just supernatural yeah. behavior yeah. yeah incredible um okay and then tell me a little bit about your younger siblings zach and and zoe you haven't we haven't spoken yeah about we them. haven't spoken about yeah. them yet um zach and zoe uh uh so my siblings are my favorite thing in the whole world I adore them and so they were it was kind of like growing up me and I were best friends and then Zach and Zoe were best friends um, and me and Zach really started to get close when uh, a few years ago now so when he really started to um, come into himself um, and started to grow up a little bit that's when we really built a relationship with each other um unfortunately zach was a bit uh he was the kid that was picked on growing up in within our family because he was the only boy so he had three three sisters bossing him around four mothers we say he had four mothers um so um and I think he was, he wasn't going down a good path either. Mm. And it was almost a relief to me mm. because then I wasn't the only one again. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was like, great. Now me and Zach can get up to stuff yeah. together. <laughs> <laughs> tell us a bit about that or like I mean you have to go into all details but like what sort of would you just go out to the the parties together or shopping or like what uh just um we'd we'd go to movie the movies together we would um I was I was his ride around Mm -hmm. because I was the one with the license Mm -hmm. so I would just pick him up from everything and anything and we feel such a good relationship in those car rides yeah. <laughs> and he's, he was a really funny kid yeah. so he just had me in hysterics all the time oh, yeah um and he was he was a skateboarder so he would um he'd be at you know random skate parks or and i'd have to go pick him up and he'd chuck his skateboard in the back of my car and yeah that's that's really how our relationship grew wow Mm. that's great that's great the so 
Okay, so Zach, and did you ever talk about the situation of your family and Elle with Zach uh, during this time? Um, not as much as I should have. I mean, we were all living it. So um, I, I do have a lot of I have a lot of regret about not um, checking in on them more, um, and because if if from the appearance from the outside if they looked fine, then I wasn't going to do anything. I wasn't going to um, initiate a conversation or um, because it was. A, it was a, it was kind of left over from childhood, right? Because so, I was very very protective of them with around the house with mum growing up, um, and they for the most part they looked like they didn't understand or they weren't aware of what was going on. Um, they were in their own little world, so I just stood back and didn't. I thought that if I didn't bring it up, then it wasn't happening. And I wasn't exposing them to it. Um, and then so I think that uh, came out with Elle a little bit. Um, we didn't... When we weren't at home, we, pre- we were pretending it didn't, wasn't happening, mm-hmm. I think, as, a, as an escape. Yeah. 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 So you didn't... So um, did, but did Zach ever say, um, like, how are you dealing with Elle's situation or did he ever he never asked you those sorts of no he wasn't he wasn't very um open with his emotions and neither was I so uh no not really yeah okay so then um so you're both going hanging out together did you spend much time with Zoe during this yeah so um me and Zoe also became best friends through through it all um, again, because I, I was, I was the lift, so um, I was doing the school runs and, um, and any time you know, the groceries need to be done, it would be me and Zoe jumping in the car to do, go do it. So we spent a lot of time together, and um, built a great relationship. Yeah. Um, you, at this point, L was well when we were last talking about her she was actually in reasonably better health than obviously that first year so then you're praying for a miracle um and then what happened after that second year was it a a gradual decline after that point or what happened with Elle so um so the first year she was declining then there was a um she seemed to be getting better for about, I think it was about two and a half years. And then it was about a year and a half ago, I believe, where she got a headache back. And it was one of the headaches that w- that first, that's how we first knew that she, something was wrong. So it was the, so we knew it was a brain tumor headache, that sort of headache. Um, and she was, she was crying and she and I didn't know why and she told mum and I wasn't there when she told mum and then we all just went to bed and then I came and saw mum and mum told me and we just it's it was it was the beginning all over again 
Um, and so I, I went to bed that night and sat and prayed the, the rosary for the whole night, yeah. pretty much, and fell asleep saying the rosary, yeah. Um, and I was so angry. I was like, how, how dare God play these tricks with us? If she was supposed to go, then she should have gone. Why Why did you trick us into think that she was going to get better and she was going to stay here? Mm. So I was so confused. Yeah. Mm. It was, was Elle at home for a bit and then she had to go back to hospital? Or? No, she was never at hospital during the whole thing. Oh, we, so we did it all from home. Wow. So we, because that was, that was our one wish and hers, mm. um, to remain at home. Because right. we'd spent enough time in hospitals. Um, and so it was, it was very gradual, you know, slowly she couldn't stand up anymore and slowly she couldn't, um, use her left, lift her left hand anymore. Um, uh, she couldn't talk. It was very, very gradual. Um, and so we were just watching it go decline. Um, and so... And then it got to the point where she was, she would type with her left, because she couldn't, couldn't talk, so she'd type into her iPhone what she wanted to say and press speak, and then it would, it would talk for her. Um, and then um, at this point, I was, I was struggling to deny the truth any longer I was um, you know it's it's funny because I, I said I always knew that God was there but it really didn't hit me it was like a I remember I was in my bathroom I was washing my hands and it hit me like a ton of bricks and I was like oh my goodness I believe in God I believe in heaven and hell what am I going to do about this some like I I have to change um and that was somewhere in the middle of that when it was going downhill um and so and I still I thought well maybe I can be a cafeteria cafeteria catholic maybe I maybe I'll just I'll do the things I can manage and I won't worry about the ones that can't you know I was I was thinking of every way to work work around it uh, <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, I like the expression cafeteria Catholic. Where did you pick that up from? Oh, uh, I used to be thrown around school. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow. So that was you. You experienced that um, during that that second sort of decline of L, where it sort of hit you one night or one day. Yeah. And it was also that um, that I still wasn't I, 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 I wasn't I was so unhappy you know I was watching my sister and my mom who were happier than I was and I and I wanted it I was so jealous you know and my mom always talked about the peace and the grace that she that she felt that was like nothing she'd ever experienced in her life from prayer and I was so jealous I was like I think it got to the point where I was at rock bottom I was like I I need it um and so 
so then and then I also I had no idea because I'd struggled so much with prayer as a child and building a relationship with God I didn't know where to start so I was like okay well how about I just do the practical side I'll just go to confession and I'll start going to mass and so I did that for a while um and it wasn't I didn't feel anything from it um and I was at that point I was like what is wrong with me what am I doing wrong I thought this is where you were supposed to start and by now I thought I would feel something um and then and then Zach got sick and Zach died so that was nine months ago now um so you were you were trying to get better with God and then he and then Zach tell, tell us what happened with Zach I mean um yeah that just tell us if you can um yeah that would have been uh, that's so hard to comprehend like your, your sister's so sick um and then Zach got sick what, yeah what, what went through your mind during that period it's funny because after L was diagnosed I had I had this deep deep fear of anyone else getting sick you know anytime anyone had a headache anyone anytime had a mild sickness I would panic inside I'd be like oh my goodness what if because the worst had already happened I was like what if it happens again and then it did happen again and so once again I wasn't shocked I, I was very much of course why would God stop at one and so Zach got a, a sinus infection um, and so he was a few as sick for a few months before that mildly sick like a flu and sinus problems and then he woke up one morning with a really swollen eye and so and we'd never seen anything like that before so we took him to hospital and it turned out to be a, a sinus infection that had got to his brain and so he was in he had an emergency op- operation to uh, try and lower the pressure in his brain um, and then he was in hospital for a few days and we thought we thought he was going to survive um, we were told he, was, he would survive um, that they'd seen this before and it was going to be okay and then they just couldn't lower the pressure and so it got to the point where we were told it was a Monday so it was exactly a week since he'd been admitted in hospital um, and they said to us that the pressure in his brain had gone too high and he would either be disabled for the rest of his life or and that was a risk as well or we just turned the machines off and so it was either we turn the machines off and he might be he might survive and be disabled but he was probably going to die so we turned the machines off and he died within 30 seconds yeah, yeah. 
and and what was his um, I mean how did he deal because obviously he went into a coma at some point but that that first sort of few days did you get a chance to talk to him or or how is he dealing with it no so from he went downhill very fast so from when dad was driving him to hospital to the next day uh he was in a coma and so i didn't see him i wasn't even home when he was raced to the hospital um so i i said my goodbyes when he was in a coma but i i knew he could hear me uh but i never um saw him saw him awake again yeah well you know they there's stories of people saying and i thought and and even even if he can't hear me he'll know he'll know in a sec when he gets to heaven right (laughs) what i'm saying and i asked him to i said now you're going to heaven so you need to help me get there I said, please, please, just help me do it too. Good on you, Leah, for doing that. Um, it's a beautiful thing to say to your brother. Um, yeah. Um, well, I guess he's praying for you now. Um, and then, yeah, what what were you going through after that? Was there? Um, I mean, you would have been in so much suffering, right? So, um, how were you coping at that point? What were you trying to do? Or was it just pure sadness for you? Um. It was very, very hard. It was um, excruciating sadness, like in indescribable. And at that point, Elle was getting really bad as well. And so we knew that she was gonna die soon too. And so even when we were preparing all his funeral preparations and I was you know trying to work through my grief I kept in the back of my head I was like I'm gonna have to do this again soon anyway um so I knew that and so with with Zach we it just it instantly made sense to me that he died I was like well for some for some reason god is making sure or trying his hardest to get my whole family to heaven for some reason we were we are just so lucky and if if Zach going now meant that it probably meant that he wasn't going to get there if he'd lived his life so he had to go now and so that was such a comfort it was the first time in my life where I thought, well, 
God, God is really looking after me and I am I am so lucky that I get that he took him from me if it means that he gets to go to heaven now you came to that conclusion or that realisation before Ellie L passed away yeah um so uh, by this point you know I was I was trying my hardest I still wasn't feeling really anything but I was trying my hardest um and I I could it was it just it was clear as a day what was going on around me I could see the miracle of my mum being cured from her alcoholism because there isn't you ask any alcoholic there is no cure and my mum is completely cured so that I had that in front of me I had uh, how how close my family was I had L changing people's lives in front of me and I couldn't it would just hit me the the reason for it all and that it was actual and it was an actual blessing that's amazing mm. so was that in prayer or was that were you was that just sitting down and trying to comprehend what was happening that you were able to come to that realization yeah absolutely because you, i mean when someone dies you think of everything you try and make yourself feel better about it in any way that you can and for me that was telling myself that this was the only way that zach was going to get to heaven but it was also it was more than that it was also i could feel in my heart that that was the truth um And then did that change your approach to Elle's um, situation? Uh, yes, uh, it definitely, uh, it, it showed me that I could do it um, and I could do it again uh, if I had to. And Elle, it's different with Elle, it was a very different because she was so ready to go. She all, we would joke that if she got a miracle, she would be so annoyed. She would be so angry that she has to do this world. All she wanted to do was get to heaven. Yeah. After all this suffering she endured, she just wanted to go to heaven. And so that put us at peace a, a lot. Mm. Um, and that made us okay with her going and especially after Zach was there um you know it was like well they get to be up there and we get to be down here you know it was okay and could she after Zach's passing was she able to still communicate somehow um she by then she was using her eyes so she would we would type out we'd uh, say the alphabet out loud and she would move her eyes um on the letter 
and that's how we would spell if she needed anything um and then also for yes and no questions uh so moving her eyes up and down was yes and her eyes not moving was a no so that's how we were communicating uh for the last few months uh, so um what uh so it was a few months was it from from zach's passing to when Elle eventually passed away yeah so that that was a um it was six six months in between zach and Elle. and and it was only two months ago now and that was the hardest six months of my life i think of my whole family's life it was very very hard to understand because she had been through enough by that point and we just couldn't understand how it kept getting worse every single day um and and it's you look back on it i look back on it now and i'm i'm not sure how it was humanly possible to go through that but you just do it every day you just do it because you don't have a choice and it's almost um it's almost easy while you're in it because because of that lack of choice um and it's really only when you i take a step step back now and look at it that i wonder how we did it because it was such a horrific death Mm. When you say that, was it because you could see um, how much she was suffering? Yes. Um, so they'd warn, they warned us in the beginning yeah. that DIPG was one of the worst things to die from because you're a vegetable at the end, but you still have your mind. So you are completely sane and normal and yourself in your head, but you just can't move. Um so so I get, I, you can imagine what that what that's like yeah. and what that, that's like to watch someone go through yeah. and it got to the point where I was saying to God please just take her because she can't do it any longer and neither can we so just take her Um, and then was there a way to alleviate some of her pain during that time yeah so it wasn't um, it wasn't so much the pain it was the um, just her situation it was the situation Um, and she was on morphine the whole time um, which thank goodness Um, it was it it was the it was the fact that she couldn't move yeah right and we it was so hard to work out what she needed mm. Mm. Yeah. And w- when you just feel so helpless to the person in front of you that that's what was the worst thing about it How is your? How are your parents? Because uh, I haven't actually, we haven't really spoken about them much through this whole time, um, and either your sister Zoe. But can you tell us, like, um, just if you can briefly, like, how they 
what you witnessed throughout this whole very tumultuous period? Um, so my mom just was a walking saint through that whole thing. And I know that's a very big statement to make, but it's the truth. I, um, she somehow kept this family together through that. And, you know, we tried to see the bright side in everything and we'd try and joke as much as possible um and so watching her was really I mean it was it was undeniable her her faith and what that was allowing her to cope with every single day. Um, it just, no one, no one copes with that like my mom did. And so that, that was really, really um, life-changing to see. And then, yeah, I didn't, um, we didn't talk about this, but I remember you telling me um, recently that you actually Elle, Elle gave you some advice before she passed away. Can you talk a bit about that? Was that or that was? Um, she mentioned confession, right? Ah, uh, oh, yes. All right. So um, once Elle uh, finally passed away. Um, the the next morning I woke up to her basically screaming at me to get myself to confession because um, <laughs> I hadn't been in a, a, in a while since then and um, so and that was my first encounter with her after she died so, so I was like wow I I did not have a choice here. I better get myself to confession. <laughs> so, so I tried not to make it a big deal, and I thought I'd just I'd sneak off to confession, and then I'd just come home and just be like, "Yeah, I went to confession today," you know. And it t- it turned out that it was the holiday period, so because this was over Christmas, and most cl- churches were closed for their break, yeah. so I could not find a confession in Sydney. <laughs> so. <laughs> So I rang my mom and she was so excited and she she was like, Hold on, hold on, I I'm gonna do I'm gonna make some calls. And so she called my grandma and so I had those two ringing around every church in Sydney trying to fit me into a confession. <laughs> and it turned into this massive thing, which is what I was trying to avoid. And it's <laughs> and my grandma that when I after I spoke to her after I'd been, she was like, wow, Elle answered my first request to her. My first request was to her was to make you go to confession. <laughs> and look at that. She already fixed it <laughs> in a few hours. <laughs> so was that uh, in a dream or was it more an internal, like, you know, how can you explain yeah. how Elle sort of, 
communicates with you because obviously there is something there I whenever I talk to people who've had people that are very close to them passing they they talk about this I um so can you explain that a little bit yeah it's very hard to explain it's it is not a physical thing at all it's just a feeling you just know um and you can't it's almost like you have a thought in your head that you can't stop thinking about right so (laughs) so it was just in my head just replaying get to confession get to confession get to confession and i knew exactly who it was coming from (laughs) so that is more like that (laughs) that's great um and then so at this point how is your relationship with god now like you've lost two siblings but you have this faith i can tell just talking to you that they're in heaven which is beautiful and you've obviously had experiences with L. Have you had similar anything with Zach that you like since he passed, or was it mainly L? Yeah. So um, especially, um, I have. I had a lot of dreams as soon as L died of them together. Um, almost every night, I'd have the same dream of uh, myself arriving at the gates of heaven, and they were there to greet me, um, and that was it. It's very, very hard to explain the the feeling of that. That was like the first breath I'd ever taken. Or like the most intense, pure happiness that there is. And it was like I was getting this little insight of what heaven is. Um, and I knew, I knew they were giving me that dream so that I would stay on this path and that it's worth it. Um, and I feel like every time I might have had a little, a little doubt or a little uh, something that they were like, no, this is this is why you're doing this. Um, yeah. So that's. Um, did your life has your life changed a bit since since that um, since that experience with? siblings passing away yeah so uh basically so once i came out of that first confession after l died i was sitting down in church doing my penance and i was and i was saying my prayer that i always say and it's please help me to want this please i want to want this life please just make it that little bit easier for me i want to live like this um and it was almost instantaneous this something came over me and i could see the two parts of my life ahead of me and i wanted the right one i wanted the holy chase faith-filled one like that and it was an almost an instant little miracle this thing that i'd been begging for for a year every day i got the next day uh, the day after my sister died so wow that's amazing that's incredible and it's i can't explain how how easy it is now how easy it is to to live like this and to 
and to want it because and I, and the thing is I feel so sorry for everyone else because they don't have that the motivation that I do they don't have two siblings in heaven to keep them on track mm. and I'm so lucky that I do mm. because that affects every single little decision I make is this going to get to me to, to my siblings again and if the answer is no then it's going like there is there's no part of me that wants to risk that Um, it's really good. Oh, yeah, thank you for that. Um, so, <clears throat> how have your close friends dealt with it? Because obviously, I'm sure they've noticed <laughs> the change in your demeanor, your behavior, perhaps the way you speak. How are you? How are they dealing with it? Mm, I'm still trying to figure that one out. Okay. Um, I don't. They can obviously see the big change in me. I don't think they're too happy about it, to be honest. Um, but I'm still trying to work out that balance. Um, I'm hoping I can still, you know, uh, be as, as terrible as this sounds, still be cool, you know? Um, still... I'd be an example of a really just you can you can be cool and you can be a Catholic mm-hmm. it's possible mm-hmm. and I'm still working out that line but I'm hoping to do that and hopefully that will just rub off on my friends a little bit <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah it's uh I know I know that that, that path that I, I I've been through that experience mm-hmm. so I know um in the end, it sounds like you're you're not too worried though uh, about human respects or what people think of you so much now as you know as as previously, and that you 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 want to try and be your authentic self and um, yet um, still remain friends with the people that you've had as friends mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, it's a it's a challenge. So I I'll pray that you thank you <laughs> you, can, you can work that one out because yeah it's um hopefully they come along for the ride because mm. it's an incredible thing as you have alluded to once it, once you're on the path and yes yeah, it's, it's that thing of grace isn't it like there's a moment where it, for whatever reason God's suddenly like okay now I'm gonna <laughs> now I'm gonna make it a bit easier for you. Mm. Uh, but yeah, can you talk about that? Like, because it sounded like that was a long journey to that point, right? And, you know, maybe that's a lesson for, for us. Like, what have you learned from that? Um, you know, going through all of that to that point where it sort of seemed to to click. Um, it taught me that you don't get what you want straight away from God. And most of the time what you want is not what you're going to get given anyway. um and it's from my experience right you you have to be on your knees begging before you get any results that that was my experience and i think maybe I uh, maybe that's what I needed Um, because 
it's very it's very very easy to become complacent right and I think if I had gotten anything I'd asked for from God I would have probably taken it for granted and it wouldn't have helped at all me stay on the right path so um I think you you have to put in the hard work first and then you feel the benefits. <laughs> it sounds like life in gen- yes. life, life generally, isn't it? It's um but it's true. I think the um would you say it was a humbling experience the whole oh, process? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um and and you try have you noticed do you think it was a lack of trust in god and now that you do you trust god would you say or trust him yes yes absolutely um and i think i have this a big big problem of mine was i had this fear of him taking more people away from me and i didn't trust him that he wasn't going to anymore and the second i learned to let that go and to say no he is going to protect you and listen to you then it all made sense to me mm. and that's when i was and I, that's when i could really trust that that was the truth yeah. if that makes sense yeah um so once i really trusted him that he was not going to throw throw another spanner in the works then that's when i felt the benefits um what (laughs) just to finish because we've gone for Mm. over an hour which is fine that's cool um but yeah like not many people have been through your suffering right and and your family so um is there anything that you would want to tell people you know, to, if there was like one gem or one mm-hmm. pearl of wisdom that you've been wanting to share because of what you've been through, um, especially to the, the your generation, because I feel, I mean, I deal with your, you know, people in their twenties a lot. And um, is there anything you would want to say to them um, to sort of sum up what what you've been through? I think. Um the biggest thing is that you have to work out if you believe there's a heaven and a hell you have to work that and then if you truly believe that there is right you've better get up and do something about it right because you it is not worth missing out on and just because i have these two siblings and that's what my goal is orientated around that doesn't mean it's more worth it to me because I have that um, pushing me along, right? Everyone should have this desire like I do. Um, and I think, like I said, I feel sorry for people that don't have it. And I think you better find it. You're going to have to find something that makes getting there worth it to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that probably comes through sincere, honest, even angry, sometimes prayer, would you say? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think consistent prayer. 
I mean, I'm proof that you can pray every single day for almost three years and you'll feel nothing. But one day you will. You will it'll hit you like a ton of bricks and it'll and it'll suddenly all make sense. <laughs> so you you cannot give up on that prayer as long as it takes because it'll be worth it. <laughs> if you feel like I do, <laughs> you'll I promise you it's worth it. <laughs> That's great. You'll be able to handle anything. I think you'll be able to handle anything for sure, Leah, <laughs> what you've been through. But um, no, thank you so much um, for, for sharing your story because um, uh, sometimes reliving the, that, those wounds can, um, or what you went through can be quite difficult and so I'm very appreciative. And mm, well, I think I, I looked at it as a very tragic story for a long time. And this might sound very cliche, but I don't. I don't think it is. I honestly think it has a happy ending. This story, um, and obviously that would all be us all reuniting again. And so, you know, I'm gonna do anything to get there, to make that, to make this a happy story. Yeah. And it's good that you see it in that light, because our lives are stories, aren't they? Mm. And then, it's true. You can have a happy ending, or or not I mean it's up to us isn't it um, but it's good that you know that you have your creator's looking out for you and he wants he wants the best for all of us but he gives us that um, determination which what we want to do with our lives and, and what it, with our eternity as well um, but thanks again Leah for that and um, yeah I'm, I'm sure um, I'm definitely sure <laughs> that what you've said today will help a lot of people at least make that sort of first step in thinking about okay what is this all about and um is there a heaven and hell for example and um and what do i want to do about it sort of thing so um thank you no problem thank you for having me all right Say